My name is Erica, and you are listening to the Let's Be Real podcast. This is episode 80, and we are going to talk about reading the scripture in context. And this podcast is all about being honest with ourselves, grappling with a question, and really thinking about it like, okay, let's be real. How do I do with that? So today, that is going to be my question to you in a short discussion on reading scripture in context. So I have recently finished up a study that I've done now for the second time. It's called Jesus and Women by Christy McClelland. You need to do this study. It is so good. I will put a link to it in the show notes if you want to get a copy, get a group together, get the videos. It is well worth the seven weeks. It is incredible. And the feedback that I've gotten, one in the first time I took it, as well as this time that I just finished it up with a group of young ladies, was, oh my gosh, it really just makes you think you're just adding so much understanding to the things that you've already heard and the stories that you already know because Christy McClelland in this study really focuses on reading scripture through an eastern lens of understanding versus a western lens. Really, it's about reading scripture in context, in its historical, geographical context that we miss out on a lot of things because we don't speak the language or we didn't live there. We don't know the idioms and the expressions and things like that. And I always use the example to the people in the room when I'm talking about it. It's kind of like having, uh, I have teenage daughters. And if some of us are a little bit older than teenage, we may not understand the context of all of the phrases and the things that they say. Like, do you know what it means when something is bussin'? when they ship people, respect the drip, Karen. Like there's a whole separate language of, oh, I like your outfit or that's bussin'. That's super cool. I could be getting this wrong. Like full send, like get her done. Like go all, like go all in. When you ship somebody with somebody else, it's like, oh yeah, they should be in a relationship. Like I'm matching them. <laughs> I think they would be good together. But if we don't know their language, the context of who's speaking, we don't really understand what's going on. And we live at the same time as them. We're living in the same world. Some of these are our children, our nieces or nephews, friends, kids. Like They speak differently than we do, and we're living at the same time, and we don't know everything that they're trying to communicate. So when you really think about it, honestly, how well do we truly understand Scripture from so far away in a completely different context than the ancient Near East, as well as just Middle Eastern antiquity at all. So in this study, there is a chart that is gone over. I'm only going to touch on a, a, a few things in it, but it's really comparing the Eastern way of thinking and how they learn versus the Western way of thinking and how we learn. In the West, us, we're a bit more Greek to their Hebrew. Greeks, you know, studying to acquire knowledge. We really look at learning to acquire knowledge, just to have this information. We look at the form of something. What, is it, what does it look like? Because how many times have you asked, well, okay, but what does that look like? I have thought that about the episode of the burning bush in Exodus. Have you guys ever tried to picture a bush on fire, not burning up and a voice coming out of it? Like we tried to picture it. Okay, well, what does that look like? How does that happen? How does that work? Where an Eastern, Middle Eastern view of thinking, they're really learning and growing to be fed. They want information that brings them 
life that feeds them, that helps them to grow, not simply to acquire knowledge, but to make a change from the inside out. They're not looking at the form, like, what does this look like? They're looking at the function, like, how does this impact things? Like, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It's that, is this legit? They're not worrying about, like, well, how did it happen? Like, the burning bush, (laughs) right? Like, how did that work? What does that look like? They're like, no, why would God do that? They're looking for the why, which is so important. Why, just the question of why is so important. I spoke at a women's conference last weekend and I was talking on discipleship and I really wanted to come at it from, but why? Why do we disciple? And it really brings us back to the whole big picture of scripture from beginning to end, one continuous story, seeing the the full message of Jesus and what his goal was in spreading the kingdom. And that is why we disciple, not well, how do we disciple? What's the seven steps? What's the program? Like, no, 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 no. We're not worried about the how. We're worried about the why. And this is not a discussion on discipleship. I have an episode about discipleship, two of them actually, back in the fall. So you can go back and listen to those. But this is really about how we approach scripture and reading scripture. Do we look at it and ask the Western question of what does this teach me about me Or are we asking more of a Middle Eastern lens as to how they would have read scripture? What does it teach me about God? So scripture is not all about us. In our Western, modern Christianity, English-speaking culture, scripture isn't about us. There are practical applications. There are lessons to be learned. But ultimately, this is about learning about God who he is, what he's done. How does that affect us? When we start asking questions, when we read scripture, what does this teach me about God instead of, well, okay, so what does that mean for me? What, how do I change? How do I do things? Like it almost, that almost makes it more legalistic, right? A whole set of rules to follow. But if we can really hone in on the purpose of scripture as being, one of the purposes of scripture, right? As being to teach us about God, to show us his character, and the things that he has done. When we read scripture like that and in context, it opens up more and more and more to us, and it gets us more excited about God, and we fall back in love with him who is our first love. And in my not-so-humble opinion, I think that's the life that the world looks at, sees, respects, and might want more of. Like, well, wait, I want what you have. You walk through this life with so much hope, with so much joy, because you are so in love with this God. Versus how many of us have heard people say, or the expression, we're like, oh, that's too many rules. I can't be a Christian. I want to have fun. I can't do the this and this, this and this. If we approach Christianity as a checklist of to-dos and not to-dos, it doesn't exactly scream a life that has been changed that people want. So we approach scripture to learn about God. What does scripture teach us about him and to let that overflow into our lives? And that is what changes our actions and our being and how we live. Not a to-do list, but the love of God now shows the world, well, this is why we don't do these things, or this is why we do these things out of an overflow of a love for God and who he is and what he's done, not simply because we're following a set of rules, which honestly is what a lot of people believe Christianity to be. 
I'm going to be teaching in person starting next Friday a advanced biblical studies course on the book of Ruth. Really looking at it from historical context. What does it really mean? Like what can we take away from it in terms of further understanding God? Adding understanding to the story that we've already heard. So many of us women maybe have read the story of Ruth and it is a very popular like love story. And I have seen studies and devotions called How to Get Your Boaz. <laughs> like, well, that's really not the context, the storyline of Ruth. It's not about how to find yourself a Christian husband. This is a much more complex, deep work in the sacred scripture from an ancient Hebrew context. So if you're local and you'd like to join me Friday mornings for five weeks starting next Friday, March 11th at Fox River, Join me. We're going to be diving into the book of Ruth. And if you're not able, I will be recording those lessons here as well. And you can join me for that, and I will share details next week. I just want to give a quick example that I think is really, you know, pretty eye-opening as to this idea of understanding Scripture in context, in really getting acquainted with the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is very, very important in setting the context of the New Testament. They are one big work. The New Testament, I've heard it called as really a commentary on the Old Testament. The authors and the writers and the hearers that lived in the time of Jesus that wrote the New Testament knew their Old Testament really, really well. They understood the context of the Old Testament. So if we know and understand what they knew and understand, it helps us to hear more intentionally and more deeply the things that they are saying. This is just kind of like, I'm going to make this the equivalent of a Christian party trick. (laughs) Like, hey, you guys, did you know? So I'm reading through the Bible in a year. I have currently made it the farthest I have ever made it. I am almost done with the book of Deuteronomy. I usually bail out by Leviticus. Although, I've been wanting to read Leviticus. It's super interesting. It can be challenging, but it's all about holiness. And when you really read it about how God is trying to set his people apart from all the other nations that are doing crazy stuff, and for them, it's like, no, you need to be set apart from all those things over there, which is why you're getting all of these rules, because you are to be holy because I am holy. It does change how you read the book. Uh, And I very much appreciate that insight. I've been listening to a ton of Bible Project videos. Um, I'm actually using the YouVersion app to read the Bible through in a year, but the Bible Project has a plan on YouVersion app, and that's what I'm using. And they sprinkle in devotionals and videos to explain what it is that you're about to start reading and listening to. So that has helped tremendously. But just a couple days ago, which I I have heard this and I have been aware and know this to be true and reading scripture in context, it just hit me. I was like, I wonder if I should share this, you know, Christian party tricks. So Deuteronomy 27, the chapter 27 is going through the like, if you obeys this, all this good stuff happens. This is a lot of what Deuteronomy is communicating. This is Moses standing before the Israelites that are going to go into the promised land because all of their parents wandered for 40 years and died because they weren't allowed into the promised land. So Moses is kind of retelling all the things back to this next generation to prepare them to go into the promised land. So he's sort of reiterating a lot of the things that we have already heard before. And he's going through a bunch of blessings, and then he's going through and listing a bunch of curses. Chapter 27, verse 20, 
It says, Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's nakedness. And all the people shall say, Amen. So as Moses is going through these curses, he's listing them out, and he's just saying, hey, anybody who lies with his father's wife, so your mother, if you have intercourse with your mother, you will be cursed because, and the idiom and the expression there is, you have uncovered your father's nakedness. Leviticus has like a whole chapter on what it means to uncover nakedness which is this expression regarding sexual intercourse. So they're saying, cursed be anyone who uncovers his father's nakedness by sleeping with his mother. And you're like, oh, okay, I get it. Yes, curse. They should be cursed. Like, that's gross. Well, so here's the interesting thing. We probably all have heard a bunch of times the story of Noah and the Ark in Genesis. We know that Noah and his wife get on this ark and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives, right? There's eight of them, four couples. They're on the ark. They survived the flood. It's time to come back out. The covenant promise has been remade with Noah, the one that had already been made with Adam and Eve, but it's not working out. So now it's remade with Noah, going to populate the earth. Noah gets off the ark, and he becomes a man of the soil, it says, and he plants himself a vineyard, and he drinks of the wine, and he gets drunk. So this is Genesis 9, verse 20. Noah began to be a man of the soil. He plants a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. So something's happening in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers." He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. All right, weird part of the story because it kind of makes you think, so Ham, who they want, scripture wants us to know that he is the father of Canaan. We've heard it like three times as in Canaanites, as in, hmm, are they friendly to the Israelites in the future. Ham, one of the three brothers, saw his father's nakedness. In our Western thinking and understanding, it's like, oh, he saw his dad naked. Well, that is not what the ancient Near East Hebrew context would tell us. Deuteronomy points to what's going on, as well as Leviticus lays it out pretty clearly that this expression has to do with sexual activity. Noah's in his tent, laying naked, so he's doing something or preparing to. So why would Ham just see his father's nakedness and be like, oh, hey, dad's naked in his tent, and then come tell his brothers, like, hey, guess what I did? I saw dad naked. Why, why is that a big deal? They're all men. Like, it's probably not that big of a deal. Certainly not big enough of a deal in our understanding for then Shem and Japheth to get a blanket to walk in backwards so they don't see anything to cover up his their dad simply because he's not 
stressed. That is how I think we've heard this story multiple times without the correct context. And is that enough for Ham to be completely cursed as the father of Canaan? And now he and his whole ancestry and his tribe are going to be subservient to his two brothers just because he saw him naked or because the phrase, the expression, uncovered his father's nakedness means, Deuteronomy, that Ham slept with his mother, that he took advantage while his father was drunk and took advantage of his mother. That makes a whole lot more sense when it comes to the cursing, especially because Deuteronomy already says, curse be you that uncover your father's nakedness, which is why Shem and Japheth are blessed for covering their father's nakedness. I mean, what? These are the some of the things that we miss by reading scripture through our Western lens, through our English translation and our English eyes, not really getting always the full picture of what's going on. It adds to our understanding of scripture. So have you ever thought about, do you read scripture in context? Has it ever been proposed to you that maybe, maybe we're not, maybe we're missing out on things. Maybe we need to do more work in learning Hebrew culture and context or follow those and learn from those who do know Christy McClellan, the lady who wrote no, Jesus and Women's Study. She is titled a biblical culturalist. There are a lot of people that have studied the culture and the language. So important for us as we continue to add knowledge to grow in the maturity of our faith, to look to them, to dig a little bit deeper. Have you ever thought about it? Or is this new? Is this like, what? When I tell people about the Noah thing, they're like, well, okay, you just blew my mind. I was like, I know. Mine was blown too. And there's so much more of that, of things that we can just continue to learn about that just show us more of God and who he is, show us his justice and his mercy throughout these stories to see his character a bit more clearly. So that is my challenge for you this week to really think about, am I reading scripture in context? Do I care to read scripture in context? How am I using scripture to teach me about me or to use it to learn about God and to know him more and let that be the why behind this Christian life. 